Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. Get your Bibles, whether that's a physical Bible, material Bible, or it's electronic, and turn to the book in the New Testament called Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. When I was in Bible college, that was General Electric Power Company. I don't know why they taught us that, G-E-P-C, just to help us remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philippians chapter 3, and I want to preach today on the power of Jesus' resurrection, and I want to begin at verse 7. Paul is writing, this is very important for you to understand my preaching today, that the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, has written this letter. He gets very personal here. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. Christ. And yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Please notice the next two verses. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Can you say amen to the Word? Amen. You can be seated this morning. And for those of you who are visiting, five weeks, actually tomorrow will be six weeks ago, thank you, I had a partial knee replacement. And I'm getting around good, but standing challenges me. So I have been preaching from a stool, and that's pretty good for a Pentecostal preacher because we don't stay still very often. Um, I like to read. I have a, I actually brought my Kindle in here. This is my little Kindle, and I, I take this with me a lot of places unless I'm having a lunch meeting or I'm with family. If I'm by myself, that is my prime time for me to take my Kindle and I read. And I love history. I read a lot of biographies. Um, I was born in 1966. When I was a kid, I had these vague memories of Vietnam. So recently I read a book by Ken Burns on the entire Vietnam War, trying to get my hands about that. What was that about? I was a kid. I don't remember it. You know, it's just these images, Walter Conkrite and Cronkite and these images on the TV screen. Uh, that was back in the dinosaur days when you only had three channels. Can you imagine that? And, uh, and then Watergate. I read a book recently on Watergate. You know, Richard Nixon. I'm not a crook. He was a crook. <laughs> he lied. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I read a, on Dwight D. Eisenhower. And so anyway, I just, I, I read these books and I thought recently, you know, I need to change it up. What do I need to read? And so I I decided to read Billy Graham's biography, Just As I Am. It's his, his work, and I have just absolutely enjoyed it. I, I, it's been, like, I just can't wait to get into it to read the next chapter. You know, I'm born in 66, but he was, he was ministering back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, so there are things about his ministry that I didn't know, and I just, I'm getting blessed by how God used this guy from the mountains up here in North Carolina, just up the road from us. And I was at, 
I had to my doctor's appointment this week in Powdersville, so I went to Arnold's to eat. It was lunchtime, and I went in there, and so I took my Kindle, and I'm reading, and I'm just reading about these great revivals and souls getting saved and lives being changed, and I started getting choked up, and I said, Dad, come on, I'm not going to cry in Arnold's. I can't cry in Arnold's. And I'm trying not to cry. I'm getting emotional of just what God has done through this man. And so as I'm reading, I, there's this, this part of his life I didn't know that was fascinating to me. Because you've got to remember, I love history. In 1954, Billy Graham held this 12-week revival in London, England. And they didn't know if it was going to work or not because the Britons can be very stoic and, you know, kind of stiff. And they, they would tell you that. They, didn't, they just didn't know if they would respond to an evangelist in evangelicalism. Well, it turned out tens of thousands of Britons came to Billy Graham's meetings. I think at one meeting they had 100,000 people and thousands of Britons gave their life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? So it's just amazing, and you read, what, but, but he wiped himself out. He lost 30 pounds in those 12 weeks and was, just had dark circles under his eyes, and he needed to rest, so they were going to Scotland. Well, a representative for the prime minister who happens to be Winston Churchill contacts him and says, the prime minister would like to have lunch with you tomorrow. Could you come and see him? And in typical American fashion, he told him no. I'm going to Scotland. And, and, and so he thought that was the end of it. He wanted to do it, but he couldn't. So the representative came back and said, how about today? Could you meet with him? He's meeting with the Duke of Windsor at 1230, but could you meet him at 12 for 20 minutes? So Billy Graham goes to number 10 Downing Street and goes in and says in his biography he was nervous meeting the great Winston Churchill. Well, Winston Churchill's biographer says that Winston Churchill said he was nervous. He said, what do you talk about with an evangelist? And so they got in this meeting, and he asked about the Crusades, and they talked about the success of the meetings of the Crusade, and then they talked about world events and world situations geopolitically. And Billy Graham said, but he noticed that in their conversation nine times, Winston Churchill used the word hopeless. And finally, at one point in their conversation, and I want to just, I, I put the quotes, he looked at Billy Graham and said, I am a man without hope. He said, do you have any real hope? And Billy Graham looked at the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, who led England through World War II and all the bombings and, and was such a dynamic leader, yes, controversial, but still was a mighty leader and Billy Graham looked at him and said, are you without hope for your soul's salvation? And, and Winston Churchill responded and said, frankly, I think about that a great deal. And I love this about Billy Graham. So he reaches in his pocket and pulls out his little New Testament and sits down with Winston Churchill and goes through the scriptures and in about 10 minutes shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Tell me that's not cool. Like, that's my guy. That's what I would want to do. The same thing. That's who I want to be. I don't want to be all flashy because it's Winston Churchill. I want to talk to you about your soul and lead you to Jesus. Well, he, it, Billy Graham didn't say that he gave his life to Christ. He asked him if he could pray with him, and Winston said, absolutely, please. And Billy Graham play, prayed with Winston Churchill. Now, I've read enough about Winston Churchill. Let me just tell you about him. The guy was a racist. He was a heavy drinker. He started drinking at breakfast. I kid you not. 
heavy drinker. He had left the Church of England, lost his faith in the 1930s, did not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. But I tell you that story because what stood out to me was a man from North Carolina, a simple evangelist, took the New Testament and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen to me, gave Winston Churchill a glimpse of Jesus. Metaphorically now, of course, but he saw Jesus. And I, I, I segue now to our text. I think Paul, who at one time was Saul, a sinner, could identify with Mr. Churchill because Paul, who was Saul, was not a very good person. He was a bad man. Uh, you know, and in the immortal words of the Jerry Seinfeld episode, he was a very bad man. And if you know Jerry Seinfeld, you know I'm talking about very bad man, Jerry Seinfeld. And, and Paul was, as a matter of fact, Paul said in the Bible, he said, I am the chief among sinners. He said, I am the baddest of the bad. You're going to have a hard time finding anybody. That, you know, we, we read Paul the save Paul. But let me tell you about the mean. Paul was mean. He was mean-spirited. He was hateful. He was bitter. He was ambitious. He was self-righteous. He was a murderer. He was a blasphemer. This guy was bad. And the worst part was he, he loved to wrap it all up in religion. He was passionate about his religion. Passionate about his, we would say, his church. Passionate about his religious organization. But he was a terrible sinner, zealous for his religious beliefs. But one day, while traveling on a road that led to the city of Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus. A bright light shone from heaven. It blinded him. He fell off his horse on the ground, and a voice spoke from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he said, what would you have me do? And the Lord spoke to him and worked in his life. And Saul goes to Damascus, physically blinded. He's there for three days. He fasts. And in that three-day period, Saul, who hated Jesus, who knew that his group, the Pharisees, instigated and manipulated his death on the cross by using the Romans, he knows he's dead. He's, he may not have never met him, but he knows he's dead. He knows about him. He hates him. And in those three days, Saul gets this picture of Jesus, sees Jesus, and gives his life to the Lord and is saved. But at that moment, Paul realized that he was not dead at all, that he was alive. And I know today is Easter Sunday, and we are celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive and well, and he is. Because it is a historical fact that he was crucified by the Romans on a cross. Not just a biblical historical fact, but a historical fact. It is a historical fact that they laid his body in Joseph's tomb. And yes, it is a historical fact, and there are multiple witnesses, that on that third day he came out of that tomb in resurrection power, and angels told his followers, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Come on, somebody give God praise in this Pentecostal church this morning. And an encounter with that live Jesus turned into an encounter with a living Savior. Paul was saved from his sins and transformed into a righteous man. And if you then read 
how his conversion was a radical transformation, you get a greater picture of this mean, bitter, ambitious, self-righteous, blasphemous, murdering individual who is totally changed. The guy who tried to stamp out the church plants numerous churches. The, the one who persecuted saints suffered heavy persecution as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the Roman Empire. The mean, hateful man became a kind, loving individual who could not wait at any and every moment to share the gospel with people and say, I know you're in sin. I know you're bound up. I used to be like you. I used to be worse than you. But I'm here to tell you he's alive. And he'll save you. And he'll change you. And he'll forgive you. And he'll wash you. He'll do for me or you what he did for me. Paul just lived his whole life. Matter of fact, he was so committed to this Jesus who saved him that he ended up being a martyr for his faith and had his head chopped off. And I think what Paul would tell you is not only that Jesus is alive, but yes, he's a living Savior. And I take that now into our times in the 21st century, and boy, this is going to sound like a preacher, but I couldn't help it. I got on a roll. The chief problem of humanity and I look at the paper, and I, and I look at news on my Twitter feed and on the Internet. Let me just tell you this morning. Listen to the preacher. The chief problem with humanity, the chief problem in America, it's not racism. It's not fascism. It's not humanism. It's not communism. It's not socialism. It's not capitalism. It's not consumerism. It's not nationalism. It's not fanaticism. It is not secularism. It's not rationalism, and it's not individualism. The problem with America and the problem with the world is not a word that ends in S-I-M, but it's a word that contains the letters I-S-N. Flip them around and it's sin. That's the problem with the world. That's the problem with all the other problems. Humanity is plagued by sin. It is the sickness of our souls. It is corruptive and destructive. It's why a man will break a law knowing better. It is why a woman will cheat on her husband. It is why a child will disobey their parents. It is why a, a man will take another person's life and murder them because of the sin that is inside of us. And what we understand because of the Bible is that our sin, and we know this experientially as well, our sins separate us from God because God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a just God. He's the righteous judge. And so he cannot nor will not tolerate or condone our sin. As a matter of fact, because of his holy nature and his righteousness, he has to judge sin. He'll approve what is righteous, but he disapproves and condemns what is sinful, which puts us in a bad place. Because the wages of sin, the price for sin, the cost of sin is death. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Don't eat of the tree, because the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so when you eat of the fruit, you'll experience spiritual death. And that spiritual death, is that's why everybody who's born is born in spiritual death, a sinner. And then one day there's physical death. And one day there's eternal death, eternal separation from God. Because if you're a sinner, you can't go to heaven. Well, the other option is it. you got to go where the worst sinner is, and that's the devil, and that's hell. And by the way, God never sends anybody to hell. You send yourself there. If any criminal says, that judge sent me to jail. No, the judge just did his job. 
you broke the law. You sent yourself to jail. If you'd have just not done the wrong thing, you'd still be out in public. See, we shift blame. We can't shift blame when it comes to God. There is no argument. There is no way to excuse yourself. We were in a mess. But God had a plan. And it was very simple. The Son of God, Jesus, robed with flesh, the Christmas story, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, spoke to us the words of God. It was amazing. Men handled the Son of God. But wicked, evil men, dressed in religiosity like Saul, hated him. And they worked with Rome to have him crucified. And he was killed on a cross and laid in a tomb. And you'd think that was the end of the story, but as I've already stated, three days later in resurrection power, he came out of the tomb. And 40 days later, after showing himself alive to a lot of people to give witnesses, he went back to heaven. And today he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. And what is he doing there? He's sitting there as a living Savior. And he's not way off where you can't reach him. It's amazing. A simple prayer. Man, I get so frustrated with Verizon now. Verizon used to be the best network, but now I'm getting where I'm getting drop calls and I'm not getting my network. I'm a little frustrated with Verizon. But I'm telling you right now, you can never get frustrated with God. There is a prayer that will always get through. If you're a sinner and you cry out to God, you will never have to worry about a prayer not getting through. God will always hear that prayer. And if you'll just pray and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I'm a sinner, but I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. And I believe you rose again. I repent of my sins, forgive me, and come into my life. That's that simple. He'll do it, and he'll change you, and he'll save you, and everything bad you've ever done is gone. Your record is expunged. doesn't matter anymore. It's gone. And you're right with God. It's the most wonderful thing that can ever happen to anybody. And so if you're listening to me today and you're bound by sin, I want you to know that not only that Jesus is alive, but that he lives today, right now, to save you from your sins. You're sitting in a room filled with hundreds of people who are getting excited because they used to be where you were. I did. But one day I prayed, crying. Not understanding why I was crying. I just knew I was deeply aware of my sinfulness. And I cried out to God. And in that moment, he saved me and changed me. And guilt and fear and shame left. And peace and joy and love filled my soul. And I knew something had happened. You'll feel like somebody took a wash rag and cleaned you out on the inside. And you'll get this dumb grin on your face. You look like Gomer Powell. You go to work the next day. What happened to you? Shazam. I went to church and God saved. Well, don't say Shazam. That's going to sound stupid. But just tell him. I went to church and I prayed and I asked Jesus forgive me. He did. How do you know? I just know. Because I'm not the same. I'm not the same. I could quit preaching right now. And that would be pretty good. We've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul's story isn't finished. The power of Jesus' resurrection carries beyond your salvation. And that's what Paul points out. And I want you to see this. I just want to show you this, okay? I messed up my screen. Lord have mercy. I hope I didn't lose all my notes. Wouldn't that be terrible? 
Paul says two more things about the power of resurrection. One, he said you can not only know that he's alive, you can not only know him as a living Savior, but he said you can know him intimately. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote his letter to the Philippian church 30 years after he got saved, 30 years of living with, with the Lord. And then he writes these words. I'll be honest. I'm like, whoa, you got to be kidding me at first. But then the more I thought about it, I thought he's spot on. He said, oh, that I may know him. Oh, that I could gain him. Oh, that I could be found in him. I did word studies and all this, but we don't need all that. I just wanted to meet the gist of what he's saying. And you know what Paul's saying is, I just want to know him better and better. And I thought, Paul, after 30 years, you mean you're not close to him? You don't know him? What, what are you saying? I don't think that's it at all. I think what Paul is saying is you can never exhaust your potentiality in your walk with Jesus. You're never going to exist, exhaust the potentiality. You're never, you're never going to get tired of it. He's never going to get old. You're never going to get to the point where he's no longer intriguing or inviting or impacting or invigorating. There's an old song that kind of helps me right here. And if Pastor Billy was up here, I'd probably sing it. The longer I serve him. Y'all know that song? The sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows because the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. To know Jesus and the power of his resurrection is to know him personally. It's to know him intimately. That word know is the Greek word gnosis. And the way Paul uses it here, the only way you can really grasp what he's talking about knowing someone is the union and the connection between a husband and wife in marriage where they know each other like nobody else they know each other as intimately as any two. But that's what Paul says. I want to know him. And Paul says, I can know him that much. I heard this recently, and I thought it was pretty cool. You ever, you ever seen somebody who's been married 40 or 50 years or more, and they're sitting in a room, and they don't have to talk? They just sit there, and they're quiet. They can ride down the road in the car, and they don't have to say anything. They can be in the same room and just sit there. They don't have to say anything. And if you're not careful, you'll say, well, that, boy, that relationship must have grown old. They've been together so long, they don't even have anything to talk about anymore. I, I think you got it wrong. I think it's the opposite. I think they've gotten so close and so intimate, they don't have to talk anymore. They've become comfortable with the silence. Pretty cool, huh? And let me tell you something. That's the way you can be with Jesus. Where you just don't have to talk to him all the time and feel like if you're not doing spiritual things, you're close with him. I, 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 I even hate to tell this. I'm 57, and I got saved when I was five. And I have lived for the Lord my whole life, honestly. I was one of those preacher's kids that went off the deep end, and, you know, I've lived for Jesus. 52 years. I'm telling you right now, as much as I think I know him, I know I haven't even scratched the surface. 
There are just things about him all the time that I'm learning. And I think when I get to heaven, I just think I'll, it'll take for the rest of eternity. I'll never plumb the depths of knowing him. I'm just trying to tell you today, you can be close to him. You can walk with him and talk with him and fellowship with him. And have into listen, you need to have more than a Sunday morning religion. Where I'll see you on Sunday, Lord. No, when you get up in the morning, somebody wrote a song, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. He's just walking with him, talking with him. And, and I used to think, man, if you didn't pray 30, 45 minutes every day, you know, you're not spiritual. And I finally got to, the, I still pray, but I got to the point where I realized, you know, you need to pray, by the way. I'm not saying don't pray. You need to pray, okay? Pray and read and read and pray and pray and read and read and pray. But what I found is it's more than that. It's just walking with him. Just walking with him. Walking with Jesus never grows old. And here's the other thing. Not only do you know him, but he knows you. It's a two-way street. He knows everything about you. Now, that can be scary for some people, but if you're saved, it's kind of good because you don't try to hide anything from him. You just live an open life because he already knows anyway. So you just live open before him. And then it's, it's, it's liberating. You just, just live to serve him and please him. But he knows your triumphs and your tragedies. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows your failures and your faults. And he walks with you every step of the day from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed. He's there to strengthen you, comfort you, help you, be there with you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is this dude named Enoch back in the Old Testament. And the Bible just says Enoch walked with God. And I've gotten to the point in my relationship with the Lord, that's all I want to do. I just want to walk with Jesus. And it says one day he was not. God took him, which I think is a beautiful picture of the rapture. And I believe one of these days, Jesus Christ, and I think it's not going to be long, y'all. Are y'all watching the news? You better live right. Better keep your lamps trimmed and burning, like the old parable says. But one day, my dad used to preach and say, Enoch, we walked a little further than we normally did, and I think we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on to my house? And he took him home. The resurrection power is not just about being saved, but it's about walking and living in intimacy with the Lord every day. But not only is he alive, and not only is he a living Savior, and not only can you know him intimately, but Paul said you can know him forever. In verse 11, Paul writes, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And when you read that, if you're not careful, it almost sounds like Paul's doubtful. If by any means, hopefully, somehow, possibly, maybe, I'm hoping if I live right, if I'm good enough, maybe someday I'm hoping that's, you're reading it wrong. And I really wish the translators had not done that. But listen, I'm not a translator, so they, they got the power to. But if you read, go back to the original language, that's not what he said. It's the opposite. There's incredible confidence. in what, It's not by any means, I hope, but Paul's saying by any means, God is going to make sure. By any and every means that necessary, God is going to make sure that one of these days, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead for me. And I'm going to live forever. He's confident that because of the power of Jesus' resurrection, because Jesus lives, Paul said, I will live too. See, you and I are going to die one day. 
That's a fact of life. You ever heard the old saying, there are two things you can be certain of in life, death and taxes. And your taxes are coming up due real quick. You know that, right? What's today, April 9th, whatever. You better get on it. You got a week. All right, death and taxes. You're going to die. But what Paul said was, I know I'm going to die. And he did die. He died a martyr's death. But Paul said, that's not the end. Because there's coming a day when because Jesus conquered sin on the cross, but he also conquered death in the resurrection, that because he lives, I will live. And because even though I die, I'm going to live. See, the same Jesus that we're talking about that came alive on Easter Sunday said at one point, at somebody else's resurrection, Lazarus, he went to Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus had been in there for three or four days, and he resurrected him. But he told his sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so I, I fall back now on two verses that I use when I talk about the coming of the Lord, or I use it at funerals. And I think they're on the screen. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of my resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. Look at this. Paul, the same guy who wrote this letter, says here, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we do, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And that is a symbolism for people who are dead, Christians who are dead. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Death is not the end. Death is just a transition to forever. Hallelujah. Takes me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, Paul said, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Again, the symbolism for death. We shall not all sleep. Yes, we're going to die, but we're not going to remain in that state. But we shall all be changed in a moment. He's talking about the same event in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. For a guy who had a partial knee replacement, incorruptibility's looking better all the time. How many of y'all got bad knees that sound like Cracker Jacks when you kneel? Yeah, you're corruptible. You're corrupted. But one of these days when there's a resurrection, I'm going to have a glorified body. No more, no more bad knees. No more arthritis. No more heart disease, no more cancer, no more lymphoma, no more leukemia, no more COVID-19 or any other COVID, no other disease. I'll have a body that cannot be corrupted anymore. And this mortality, a body that can die right now in my glorified state, it will be immortal. 
death can't touch me. As a matter of fact, that's why Paul said, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Whose victory? Jesus' victory when he came out of the tomb. Y'all getting this, aren't you? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Here's the celebration part. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Resurrection victory. Victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I got to stand up now. Somebody give God praise because of the power of Jesus' resurrection. Hallelujah. I buried my daddy last year, July 18th, he died. Day that will be stuck in my mind forever. Monday night, July 18th, will forever be burned in my mind. And that Thursday in this church, we had a funeral, and I buried my father, preached his funeral, one of the toughest things I've ever done in my life. And his body sits over an oak lawn in that mausoleum, but that's just his body. His spirit's not there. I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I know his spirit's in heaven. I don't know all that's going on up there. And I don't know if it's a, it's a spirit body that still looks like a body. I, there are things I don't yet know. But what I know is one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And there will be a great resurrection and somehow in a split moment, my dad's body is going to come out of that mausoleum and his spirit's going to come down and they're going to meet in a split second. And in that split second, that decayed body, God is going to make it whole and well. And it'll look like my dad. And it'll be a glorified body. But there won't be any more multiple myeloma in his body. There won't be any sides anymore where he had a triple bypass surgery. All those days are behind us because we have been justified. We're being sanctified. But y'all, I'm looking for the day when we shall be glorified. I'm sorry, I'm Pentecostal, but I'm getting loud. But I'm just excited because I know the truth. And there is power in the resurrection of Jesus. Stand with me all over this house. I better quit. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.